This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Ledin and Public.com. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. But what is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories, where together, twice a week, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, brightest crayons in the box, sharpest tools in the shed, to find out how this movement truly came to be, uh, how we got here, where we are now, and where we're going in the future. We're learning so much along the way, like the metaverse. We're learning about different types of blockchains. We're talking to some of the most craziest, compelling stories. And the guests that we've had on in the past few years have been so amazing. And actually, today we get to have Dan Doney on the show. Dan, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Well, I'm excited to, uh, to join in, Charlie. You've got such a great audience and folks who uh, really like to dig deep. So uh, happy to, to chat about uh, how we got here. You've, you've had many years working with the, the government and uh, shaping kind of how the internet innovation and how governments will act and react towards that and kind of regulate and help chase down bad guys and do a lot of these different things uh, to a point where you were the chief innovation officer of the um, Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, and, and then now you're the CEO of Securency. And when we're doing the research here, you know, we're sitting with all the writers and we, we, we discuss each show and what we're, what we're going to talk about and how the storyline's going to go. And one of our writers is like, damn, why did he leave? Why did he start a blockchain company? I'm just so damn curious. So that's my first question to you. It was impossible to ignore the, uh, the potential associated with blockchain at, at the time. So just to give you a, a little bit of the black backstory, um, it, it's very frustrating to to uh, to tackle the innovation challenge in, in government settings. So uh, while my job, I had a cool title um, and had an opportunity to see uh, just be at the forefront of emerging technology, quantum computing, advanced cyber attack and defense techniques, and, and blockchain. Um, large organizations, government entities. Uh, banks and other are very slow moving and tend to resist innovation. Uh, there's been a number of recent articles uh, as uh, a prominent innovator in the Air Force recently left out of frustration as uh, large entities don't like to innovate. So uh, it's, it's, they all want to, but they have internal resistance to change and a risk aversion that makes it impossible for them to, uh, or very difficult to bring in new ideas from the outside. So that was my large focus was really answering the question, why can't large organizations innovate and what can be done about it? And uh, we introduced a number of methodologies which really have proven effective and important in getting large banking, large financial institutions to, to begin to embrace the possibilities associated with blockchain. I, Received my first Bitcoin in 2012, awesome. and uh, so I was fairly late in the game, according no, to, that's early. to some of the early folks, but uh, um, certainly early to, to, to some. And uh, it was so easy. It was an amazing experience just uh, downloading that first wallet, which I subsequently lost, um, receiving uh, the, the Bitcoin, being able to, to send it to others, and uh, it was such a radical and cool concept. Uh, at how easy it was to participate in financial transactions. I actually did it at the Aspen Institute, and uh, it was uh, there was a speaker there 
who was an enthusiast about blockchain and it was cool to get involved. Heading back to my day job, of course, um, you could see how the, the blockchain networks were being used. Um, at the time, Silk Road was really uh, in its prime. It was being misused, right, for all sorts of uh, things that uh, are untoward. Those are the early days you could of follow Bitcoin. the money. You could see the patterns associated with, with ransomware, theft, human trafficking, weapons trafficking. So you, you had this underlying technology that was uh, it made it possible to follow the money. You just didn't know who the parties and participants were. Earlier in my career, I'd done work on identity proofing and making government better where citizens could see the, the uh, privacy data that the government held on them. But that really centered on a process of proofing your identity. So I shouldn't be able to check your privacy data, Charlie, and you shouldn't be able to check mine. So how do I prove that when someone approaches the government, they are who they say they are? Well, that plus blockchain network, I saw the opportunity for a better financial ecosystem, one that was uh, completely transparent, easy to, to oversee, but also that had global reach with instant settlement. So if you took blockchain networks and you layered over top of that an identity framework, you could meet uh, government travel rule requirements, among other things. So it was that plus a set of challenges about interesting assets. How do you make commercial real estate leases? For example, how do you make those liquid? I built up a tokenization platform while still working my day job in the government to tokenize. Um, income streams from, from real estate and give people the opportunity to have dividend paying currencies. That idea of a security and a currency blended together was what gave rise to, to the name Securency in uh, mid-2015. And we thought, I thought, this is game-changing. We could apply it to leases. We showed how it could be applied to mortgages, how it could be applied to insurance. And that was enough, compelling enough for me to quit my day job and uh, to jump into the space head first. That's so awesome. It, we're talking about, you're talking about like tokenizing cash flow businesses. It's something that I've wanted to do for so long. Like I, we have multiple Airbnbs. I want to tokenize those, but this, this podcast potentially. But, you know, obviously the regulatory issues around it is something that I worry about. Do you, and, and I didn't even want to get into security yet. We're, we're diving deep into it, but I'm really actually excited because when we're, when we're figuring out, uh, uh, when I'm thinking about problems and demand that I'd like to have in the space, and then the universe almost like showed me uh, what you do, and I, I, I get excited because I want to start using it. And that's really what you're doing there. You handle all the, the compliance involved, but everything is still on chain. So when you're tokenizing a cash flow business, you know, even a, a film, you know, a song, you know, the creator can preset everything, and all the presets are actually available on chain. You deployed on multiple types. Of different blockchains. I mean, it's it's so unbelievable. Yeah, Charlie, you're you're jumping ahead to uh, to some topics we're going to get to in DeFi and how all of this applies. But I'll tell you, the original challenge is the same challenge that most people are sitting. They know this is powerful. They know how powerful blockchain is. They just don't have the regulatory expertise. So you want this is what happened to me. 2015 November, um, almost exactly six years ago, we founded. I had produced and demonstrated that we could do tokenization of mortgages, um, insurance pools, and uh, commercial real estate leases. 
now wow. I want to take these things to the market. So we hired a lawyer and the lawyer said, wait, these are securities. And we knew they were securities. They were supposed to be securities. Textbook definition. So yeah, you that's can't the sell point. those into the markets. Yeah, that, that is. It's, <laughs> of course they are. That has a real investment thesis. You're able to invest in income streams. Why we wanted to embrace this. Well, um, what that meant was we had to be able to enforce the securities regulations as these things moved about. And since they could move at global scale, we had to inform um, based on global securities regulations. Well, I thought as easy as it was to build a tokenization platform, I should be able to build a compliant set of compliance rules that could be reused so that the problems that we were facing, we, we knew we weren't the only ones who were facing them. You should be able to build a framework that people could reuse. I figured it would take me six months. I was off by about four years. Um, it was a substantial effort to actually build a decentralized compliance framework. But on the other side of that, we now have the kinds of tools where people don't have to be a securities expert. I'll tell you, as we went to talk about these rules with law firms, you'd go to three law firms and you'd find six different answers yeah. as to what you had to do to make yourself compliant. So we figured, let's make a, a process that's first verifiable by the regulators. They can actually test it, see that it works, easy then for parties to attach to their existing assets, and then automate some of the most important aspects of, of, uh, of compliance. And so therefore, uh, the, the space should just be able to, to glom on. We see in the, a massive need for this in the DeFi space now, and so we'll get to that here in a bit. You know, I kind of, uh, do you remember when there was a colonial pipeline a few months ago, there was a ransom um, situation and, you know, people were harping on Bitcoin about the fact that it was being used as the ransom. And I was secretly smiling. We were talking about it on this show and, and your family would say, why are you smiling about this? I, and I respond, well, because it just comes back to this thing that I've been saying for a decade is that Bitcoin is actually a great honeypot for criminals because they think that it's better than cash and it's not. But just don't say anything to any of them. And sure enough, the Colonial Pipeline hackers were, were very, very quickly caught after that ransom was taken. But, but it's very easy to dismiss. And I think you'll understand where I'm getting with here. Privacy and anonymity always has clashed. People want privacy, but governments can't guarantee to the full extent because you can't have full anonymity because you won't be able to live in a social and just society if you do uh, too much in a certain extent. But Bitcoin has created this perfect, like, you're private, but you're not anonymous. Do you think folks in government are, are actually finally seeing that? There's a growing circle of folks who are recognizing that this isn't actually a that there's an opportunity for this to exactly. not be a, a trade off. I, I would say though that um, most folks are still not aware of the possibilities here. Let, let me let me go a, uh, a bit deeper. So it it is absolutely true that anonymity and um, compliance oversight uh, a just society are, they are uh, not compatible. You need not look far back in history. You can, there are example after example after example, um, even if looking at the ICO craze, you can yep. see how that happens and it happens very quickly. So it's not a thing, you know, again, I, and I saw how transactions, facilitating transactions that were perceived to be anonymous was actually the fuel, for example, for human trafficking. It's not something that society can step back and say, well, well there's nothing we can do about it. Uh, let's just let it happen. It's not acceptable socially. But there is a difference between anonymity 
and privacy. And this is very important. So it's possible to oversee blockchain-based transactions without exposing um, those transactions to, to even to public networks. And, and so you can use, for example, public Ethereum as the mechanism by which you achieve consensus and the mechanism by which you conduct transactions. You can use zero-knowledge proofs. There are great protocols like Aztec yep. in order to obscure those transactions, but record them in such a way that only an authorized entity can see the, the nature of those transactions and therefore interdict if necessary um, based on those transactions. But here's what's really cool about blockchain. Because those can be encrypted, an overseer can't see them unless they've been granted permission. That's very different than the financial networks of today, where a government agency may subpoena a bank, can see those transactions, and no party would ever know that they've had a look. But if, with, through proper encryption, you can oversee the overseers such that each time the regulator performs their responsibility under warrant, it can be known. And in fact, it can even be privacy groups who grant access to the underlying data. Dude, Such that there's crazy. a mechanism to have unprecedented privacy and even protection from government um, abuse. You're talking about putting the whole justice system on chain, which is the ultimate goal. I mean, because most people that I talk to and we talk to and we know, we love the idea of living in a just society that needs government and regulations. It's the abuse of today is what our issue is with. And so this is a very, very complicated topic and we have to be very distinct about it because, you know, there could be uh, uh, people can take arguments from either side and grab different red herring type things and say, oh, one is not good and one is the other. However, what you're saying here is essentially putting the idea of civil and criminal court systems, jurisprudence on top of a chain where, you know, you know, your local district judge has access to that transaction and then can issue warrants to allow the regulator. I mean, it's all done on chain. I, this is really the future of living in this utopia that is free and fair. It's, it's an unbelievable thing. Yeah, I, th I think so. This is, there is, a, you know, folks who are uh, privacy advocates um, and, and there's a lot of zeal uh, in the blockchain of networks course. in censorship free. And there's a, and for good reason, governments have abused their authority uh, many times in the past, there's plenty of examples of, of this. Even, even today, um, there's improper exploitation of information in financial networks. There's an answer. Blockchain is the answer to, to, to that. And you know, a combination of zero-knowledge proof, complete auditability of the auditor is such an exciting future where we can actually, instead of constantly having this trade-off yeah. um, between oversight and, and privacy, we can actually get both. And, and that's that is so revolutionary uh, that, that government entities, frankly, ought to be excited about this. Um, from our perspective, in my view, they're not excited enough. Yeah, because you left. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I, when I first fell in love with Bitcoin, um, I, I, I was the circles that, that really were able to freely discuss it were, were a lot of these uh, anarcho-capitalist, anarchist, libertarian you know, I was camping out for a week up in up in New Hampshire with with this like multiple thousand member community of people. We're trying to like create this beautiful thing, you know, trading Bitcoin for silver. And but I was uncomfortable with the idea of like taking down and violence. And even even if the term terminology was hypothetical, I could always see how it could be very, you know, you see with with what happened last year, 
how very quickly that could be turned into like physical action. But I met someone who really changed it for me. And he said, you know, Charlie, forget trying to end the Fed, as the popular saying would go. He said, let's transcend it. If we build a better one, markets will, will always prevail and our system will be better. But I was always thinking about this in terms of financial services. You are totally expanding it to every aspect of government and society we live in. And I think for most it can work. But what does that world look like? Do we have winner take all? Do we have multiple blockchains, permission version, permissionless, with interoperability bridges being the toll booths between them? Like, how does it, how do we do this? Man, you are opening up uh, Pandora's box here. There's a lot of great threads there. Um, so let me just pick up on one of them. Um, and that's the idea of, is there one blockchain to rule them all, or are there many? The one thing that my history has told me is that if there's ever only one solution, there it is the end of innovation, um, just by its nature. So it, it can't be true that um, there's only one blockchain that services everyone's needs, has the, the greatest consensus, the highest performance. Um, and all of the characteristics that a party would uh, desire. And it, again, if there ever was one, then the next thing which would disrupt that would have no point of entry. So it's much better to have many, but in fact, to build a framework by which you link, uh, join them together, interoperate between them, et cetera, is, is, is our view. Decentralization also applies to blockchain networks um, and networks of networks. Currently, financial processes. And by the way, this isn't just finance. This is all sorts of other social supply chain managements, all the other things that are happening on blockchain. But let's just start with finance. The world's financial centers, London, New York, Singapore, uh, Beijing, Tokyo, have disproportionate wealth. And it's because of a good service that is being provided by those centers, right? So making money value liquid, such that value can and move to opportunity is an important service. And what you can see in places where you don't have that service, there is not innovation or growth. Um, you don't have strong businesses. So it's, it's an important function. You wouldn't want to rage at the machine and say, take down all the banks as long as they perform the function. But blockchain makes it possible where it doesn't have to happen only in New York, London, Singapore. And therefore, the parties around that, it ought to be happening in Africa, South America, Central Asia, in the same way that it happens in any one of those centers. Early on, 2016, through MIT Connections, um, I was introduced to this company, Recult, a spectacular company uh, that the listeners should, should check out on their own. They won a UN award. Um, they focused on lending to smallholding farmers. And these same lending pools and tokenization framework that, that we had developed, we said, hey, let's come together here and show how we can use blockchain to do lending in developing world settings to smallholding farmers. And the, the farmers in those settings are exploited. They, they, they're unbanked. They don't have easy access to capital. And even something simple like getting $500 that you need for your seeds and fertilizer for, for the year, when you don't have a bank account and cash is something that you can't securely hold. That's a challenging transaction, effectively going through payday lenders. Um, and, and this causes generational debt, inability to build capital, and efficiency. Through blockchain and DeFi, you can reach those folks, get them efficient access to capital at Western rates. And that changes lives in the most profound way. 
So this is where it's going, um, which is for all of the work done by nations sort of top down to rebalance feeding money through um, aid organizations to Love parties, that. all you're doing along the way, by the way, is enriching the exploiters because the money passes through them as it gets out to the populace. Blockchain <clears throat> changes that as you can reach these, uh, these parties directly. And again, change less. That's where this is going. And everyone should be excited about that because that is a much better world to live in. Guys, we need to talk about how to use your Bitcoin and your USDC to earn you interest and make you more money. To do that, we're going to talk about our newest sponsor, Ledin.io, a much better home for your Bitcoin. They're amazing. They're a secure, simple, and easy-to-use platform for managing and growing your digital wealth. On Ledin, you can earn interest on your Bitcoin and on your USDC with some of the industry's best rates. Earn 6.1% APY on your first two Bitcoin and 9% on all of your USDC. That's right. All you need to do is deposit your coins and you'll receive steady payouts at the end of each month just for leaving your coins with them. 6.1% on Bitcoin is pretty huge. You don't find that same kind of return elsewhere without taking a much greater risk. And 9% on your USDC? Think about what kind of rate you'll get if you had dollars sitting in your bank savings account. Probably almost nothing. If you've got dollar savings sitting around, this seems like a no-brainer. All you need to do to sign up with Ledin is send a bit of Bitcoin or USDC their way and then sit back and let the interest accrue. So what are you waiting for? Go to untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin to start earning interest on your Bitcoin or USDC today. That's untoldstories.link forward slash Ledin. You're going to love them. Enjoy. We're all used to investing in different types of cryptos, and we know that you can buy as little as $1 worth of any coin or token, but you can't do the same thing with stocks, bonds, and ETFs and all those other like traditional assets. And then if you can, you can't do it all in the same place. Our newest sponsor, public.com, is a super awesome community where they take your, private, your privacy seriously, and you can get in there and trade slices of crypto, Bitcoin, all different coins and tokens, and also stocks bonds, ETFs, equities, and it's all done in the same place. What I love about it is that you have all these different investors you can connect with, with all walks of life, gain confidence, ask questions, get the big picture with curated themes, talk to everyone, but they don't get involved in the order flow. They're not selling your data to all these other middlemen. And we got a very good special for you, my listeners, today. If you go to public.com forward slash untold stories and you start investing with $1, they're going to give you up to $50 in a free stock, a slice of a stock. That's all you got to do. Download the app. $1, you get 50 bucks worth. Public.com forward slash untold stories. Valid for U.S. residents, 18 plus only, subject to account approval. And make sure you check out public.com forward slash disclosures. There's no investment advice here. These guys have been doing and amalgamating all of these different types of community, stock, bonds, ETFs, cryptos all together. Make sure you check it all out, public.com forward slash untold stories. I really like what you said. It's it's efficient access to capital at Western rates. And and if we're talking about like uh, the ability from when you have like someone in London and then by the time that value reaches the farmer somewhere else, there's like 15 middlemen that are involved in that. And at the same time, even what you're doing, uh, you know, if I wanted to like create liquidity for cash flow, 
it's a very difficult thing to do right now because it also relies on the person doing it and if and it shouldn't but at the end of the day we know that credit scores and and all that stuff is still a thing so if you have a successful like airbnb business and you need to you want to securitize that nowadays you need to have a good credit score you have all these different type of things and and you know security you guys are changing all of that what type of um of cool novel deployments have you guys already seen and had like what is kind of happening in the wild use cases right now with this? What type of businesses are 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 tokenizing their their cash flow? Yeah, you you may know of our work with WisdomTree, just uh, a, who's a, a leader innovator in ETFs for over a decade, um, almost two decades, as they've been pushing the limits there, and and they've seen what ETFs ex- exchange traded funds have done to mutual funds, um, which they're rapidly displacing the whole. Um, mutual fund model. And the reason is because they're more tax efficient, they're more liquid, you can trade interday as opposed to mutual funds. They see blockchain-based instruments, uh, tokenized funds, doing to the ETF world, where you get now the ability to trade much more broadly, globally, 24-7. You get um, access to, to new investors who wouldn't otherwise have had access. It's a disruptive model in that case. And we're so excited to work with them. While Wisdom Tree is in the space of um, black Bitcoin ETFs, they've had a Bitcoin ETF in Europe for a few years now. I think they were the first there and uh, have an application for for one here in the US. That's taking a traditional wrapper that is a normal share interest around a cryptocurrency. So the underlying is crypto. This is the opposite. Um, that uh, we're working with them, which is to take traditional assets, treasuries, uh, or even uh, shares of Tesla, and then wrapping them and issuing them in, in tokenized form, get, allowing investors globally to get access to these new kinds of exposures. That's super exciting, uh, we, we believe, uh, both for the asset management space, but also for investors who, you know, for example, if you want to get exposure to uh, real estate in Eastern Europe. It's there's no very efficient hard to way do to do it. In the existing no. private market structure. Yeah, even in the U.S., I don't trust real estate investment trusts. They always go down. They're the most bankrupt companies ever. Sorry for anyone who works in them, uh, but no, they're scary. You know, you I read books, a lot of a lot of novels, and for some reason they pick on real estate investment trusts. I don't know why. But the point is, you're right. There's no. There's so many middlemen involved, even with the modern day systems that allow you like crowd sharing different. Uh, uh, properties, it relies so heavily on multiple, multiple middlemen and clearing houses and things like that and management fees. And then you don't really know what's going on. You have to verify and trust one of those companies and middlemen, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's very cool, but it also allows the individual, like you said, it doesn't right now, everything always has to start from the top. It's the, someone who wants to, to create a fund or create a wrap has to go and, you know, find the assets. But here you have the asset holders themselves can tokenize whatever they have. It's a it's completely switched. Exactly. There's still a need for curation. So you know if I yeah. Were to so take how do you a, handle that? A, like like you said, yeah. Um. So this is the role of asset managers. Uh. So you know great parties like Wisdom Tree as we work with them, they'll it'll through tokenization they'll be able to go direct to investors, so they won't have to go through uh, an e traded account or or what in order to get an asset to the investor. But their specialty is curation. So in other words, they produce, uh, they call it modern alpha. They have 
wise parties who spend their time doing analysis, looking across the opportunities in new markets, let's say batteries, um, as an example. They produce, if you think batteries are hot, they produce exposure across a number of uh, firms on your behalf. Now, as you know, Joe Investor, I don't want to have to research every battery company to get exposure. I would like a curator for me. That is the party who's doing that research on my behalf. But here's the big deal. And again, blockchain really assists. I want to know who the best curators are. That's based on performance. And so I shouldn't have to guess. I should be able to see, and blockchain can help me see. Oh, I like where you're going with this. So in fact, I'll tell you another quick story. Uh, Before I was going to start the company called Pick Wisely, but it was uh, the concept was effectively a prediction market for fantasy football, where you allowed pickers to pick, expose what their picks are, and then based on how they performed, parties could basically subscribe to their picking. I'm sure I'm giving somebody a good business model here for- No, actually, uh, it's funny because our sponsor, uh, we have one of our newest sponsors, public.com, does something like this too, where it's it's on-chain stock and crypto picking, but in a, in a privacy-oriented community. And they're very cool. I'm very excited they're our newest sponsor. But you know, a lot of, but this is where we're going. I, I, I just, I, you give me so much to, to notes to type out, um, tokenizing the regulators. You're tokenizing the government. We're tokenizing everything, but it's not just like token, pew, pew, pew. We're not just creating tokens and just like letting them off to thin air. You can, the governance built into the token itself can be then, you know, the justice system can interact with that. It's, it's a, and cause that's at the end of the day, we're not going to invest in things. We're not going to buy assets. We're not going to create agreements and contracts unless we know there is efficient enforcement. How many agreements do you have to enforce on your own with your lawyers? You're not doing that in a just, like you said, Eastern Europe. You're, it's difficult with the justice system. You don't understand to speak the language. But here, if a lot of that stuff could be done on chain and everyone involved can be a signatory to that. Wow. I mean, just like talk about efficiency. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and this, in the end, what, what investment boils down to is efficient curation. Um, and, and so in that concept, let's say your Airbnb um, income streams, again, in individual assets, if I'm going to invest in that individual income stream, I better know a lot about your property. But if in fact, I'm relying on a curator who's bundling a bunch of those and who's constantly on top yes. of the investment opportunity, it allows you to basically securitize or monetize your income streams in a much more efficient, reliable way and allows me as an investor to guide capital to opportunity. Efficient markets. Why is Silicon Valley, why has it been uh, what it, you know, the shining star? It's allocation of capital to opportunity efficiently. And what we can do is instead of it being in one geographic area, this should be at global scale where the curators, whether it's a kid working um, in Cal Berkeley with an AI algorithm that produces alpha, produces that is above market return based on the way it picks your Airbnb assets, he shouldn't have to be or she shouldn't have to be a securities expert in order to bring in, oh, in right. every jurisdiction around the world in order to bring that to market. So to the extent that we can take those back office, middle office functions that investment banks are doing, such that curators can bring, help match capital to opportunity in a way that's more efficient than ever before, that transforms um, value generation for everybody. Could you, could you foresee the curator 
his salary being on chain baked into the code, you know, like a 1% asset management fee type of a thing. And then not only that, but you're talking about governance. All the token holders can then meet once a year instead of doing a board, they can hold votes that require certain turnout, you know, thresholds to pass. They could vote on things like paying that person more, just if that person's doing a great job or fire him, pay him. Like you're talking about, but then that whole process itself overseen by, 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 by some sort of justice system. Is this what we talk about when we have multiple layers and multiple blockchains and interoperability? Um, let me ask you a real question. You have a very deep understanding of, of the web as we know it today. Um, I'm not just flattering you here. Do you really think that the web 3.0 can be built on this blockchain technology? Is this what we've been waiting for? It is so um, what we've been waiting for. You know, the initial promise of Web 3.0, what, what was Web 1.0 was imagined, conceived as what we now know of as uh, Web 3.0. Oh, that's so and that cool. is effectively semantically rich objects um, that are able to, to, to move about. So what does that mean? That's a, that's a uh, funky term. We're about to release um, something called Asset Composer. And um, it, the motto is, it is uh, object-oriented programming in decentralized object-oriented programming. So I can create an asset. Now, let's, let's just describe a, a fund as an asset. What makes a thing a fund is it happens to be an asset that owns assets. And so that's what defines a fund. You can create a class, and then people can create instances of that class and can interact with that um, in a consistent and reliable way. You can create a loan in the same way um, and then compose them together. So if I want to do loan securitization, basically build compound um, or Aave in a drag and drop style um, or, and even more complex uh, financial processes, options, derivatives, where parties are contributing the financial processes as smart contracts. And in this framework, which is much like an app store, you're able to drag and drop them together. Um, we're about to release this. We think it's maybe, but we think it's one of the sure. most exciting new developments regarding Web 3.0. This is like the boldest um, thing I've ever up. seen. Contracts are complex and you're talking about needing to, you know, certain things will trigger certain other things when certain things happen. For example, a simple loan agreement. If a person doesn't pay his, his uh, uh, interest payment after 60 days overdue, and then it has to go into bankruptcy, there's a... a, a an increase in, in, in interest, uh, 25% from 10% or whatever it is, that trigger, someone needs to make sure that it's all done and all the bookkeeping. You're talking about the ability for all these contracts to just constantly work, but then liquidity behind it, being able to, if someone says, oh, I don't want to own now a loan, even though it's tokenized, that's now in bankruptcy, I can sell that to someone else and move it about rich objects. It's, it's, is that what you're kind of getting at? That, that's exactly right. And, and what you can imagine, the, these are um, the, the process associated with, for example, liquidating uh, an, an asset um, or writing off the asset. These are all predictable processes. They're known. But in, in existing traditional finance, these are stored procedures, um, back office functions in a system. And each system for everything does it differently in a way that's not exactly consistent, such that data reconciliation is difficult. Here with these basic building blocks, with consistent self-describing interfaces, makes it easy to actually bundle those things together. The concept of collateral 
and how that how that interacts with a securities lending um, scenario or an FX forward or other futures contract, the basic concept of collateral is identical. You're just dropping that process into a bigger process, and then you get to reuse. There's a we could go on for uh, a yeah, good amount of time on this concept, but th- this is the problem for the existing financial system. Reconciliation is the problem. That is getting everyone's records to agree. Why are we at T plus two uh, trading? Why does it take us two days to reconcile the records? And you know everyone's super hopeful that we'll get to T plus one. Why are we not at T zero? Why can't we be? Because these systems in the legacy way of generating objects in the system, getting everyone to agree on what a thing is, reconciliation cannot happen at the speed that is possible to happen on, on blockchain systems with a web 3.0 structure. And that's what's exciting. Uh, we, we believe you can almost eliminate back office and middle office function costs for banks in time. using these models. It reminds me of a... It reminds me of a funny story when when Eric Voorhees and I were invited to speak at a the NASHA, the National ACH organization. I, I always forget what it stands for. National Automated Clearinghouse Association. And it's basically this is this system, apart from wire transfers, this is what governs check depositing to 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 direct deposit to even Zelle and Venmo. It's all running on that same system. So it's all just layers and layers on top of that same system. So all the banking, you know, the 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 new banking 3.0, as we thought we knew of today, of all these different things, are just you know new clothes on the same emperor or whatever, if that's the right quote. What I'm getting at here is we're, at, we're sitting there at this at this talk, and I remember Eric just asking one of the people that sit on the board. It's like, hey, I have a great idea. Why don't you offer like at an increased cost, like instant ACH transfers? This was like 2013. And the guy just like laughed. He just started laughing at Eric like, what are you talking about? It's impossible. It takes, you can't do instant bank transfers. Do you know the reconciliation and all this stuff involved? And I, we just like walked out of the room and we knew at that moment that this Bitcoin thing was actually going to change the world. Charlie, never truer words. That's exactly right. Look, we're, we're doing things onboarding and offboarding dollars from the banking system into uh, a stable coin farm of that in, in various settings and other things to support transactions. And the limiting factor is the, the horrific reconciliation process associated with the traditional financial models. It's almost shocking how, how much people actually have to guess. Um, as to what has happened or hasn't happened uh, in in those gateways between banks. And so as a result, they build a buffer with a whole bunch of uh, extra room, but that amounts to inefficient balance sheet operations. Yeah, the standard deviation. um, Then capital is not being put to work. Yeah. It's like, okay, that there's a standard deviation when it comes to like how things reconcile, but it shouldn't be okay. It should be down to the T, not T plus two. Oh, I like how I did that. <laughs> it, it's okay until you have, I mean, we've seen some flash crashes on treasury repos. We've seen the GameStop incident Incident was, you know, an example of one of those cases where um, this reconciliation delay caused the, the a problem. And who lost in that? It was the retail guys um, as a result of, of this inefficiency. 2008 is another example. So it's okay until it's not. 
and then people really get hurt. And 2008 should have been a warning to everybody because those problems haven't been fixed. We, people got hurt to be sure, but it could have been much worse. And we don't think outside of blockchain, those problems are gonna be fixed for the, you know, let's, let's get on it. Let's not wait until we have a global financial collapse to say, man, I wish we had used these tools. Well, folks, I mean, you heard it from the man himself, Dan Doney. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories, the CEO of Securency. Uh, we really, really fell deep in it today, but we, we came back out. And I think, I think what the moral of, of what you're trying to do and, and the, where the world is going to go is that we need to maintain privacy and security while, while continuing to uh, grow this blockchain thing and this Bitcoin thing that, that we've started on. But at the same time, not shortfall, it's not limit, it's capabilities that we can do. We can do a lot of amazing things that will scare us because, oh, no, everything is going to be on chain. But that may be a very good thing because you can regulate the regulators, tokenize the regulators, tokenize the government. We didn't even talk about different types of like incentive structures, making sure that regulators are not abusing. There's so many different like ways down. We have to have you on a part two, but it's all the time we have today. Mr. Don't, thank you so much, Dan. I really appreciate you. Charlie, thank you. What a great uh, conversation. I look forward to part two. Same.